Welcome everyone, you are listening to the I Am A Sparching Podcast with your host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy the show, it will probably suck. to I'm a Spartan OCR podcast and we are doing an interview with uh, a friend of ours Mike Rady who just got done doing the death race this past weekend um, and he talks to us about his experience and some of the things that they had to do while he was there hope y'all enjoy hey what's up everybody I got Mike Rady on the phone he's gonna talk to us about his death race that he did this past weekend and I also have my beautiful co-host, Leanne Blizzard, with me. What's up, Mike? Not a lot, guys. How are you? Good. Good. All right, Mike. So uh, just just give us a little background on yourself, man. Like, how old are you and what do you do for a living? How many people have you killed? <laughs> Not enough. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, well, I'm 38 years old. Um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have a wife and three children who are nine, uh, seven, and four years old. Um, That's an endurance event in itself. I tell you, it's funny because it kind of puts it into perspective when you do things. I think about how how little I have to be concerned about when it's just noisy in my house all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you get used to chaos, but, um... But, but it certainly is an endurance event that never ends. Um, Background-wise, uh, I, I work in IT. I work from home, which is kind of nice because, yeah. you know, I can run out and do do pull-ups and stuff in the garage when I get pissed off at a, at a customer or something like that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm in IT, so it's very vastly different from, from what I like to do in my spare time, um, you know, which is getting out in the middle of the woods and doing stupid stuff with crazy people. Um, as far as uh, background and endurance events, I mean, it really started back in, I think, 2015 was my first 12-hour hurricane heat. Um, but other than that, you know, with hobbies other than endurance stuff and, and working and taking care of kids and shuffling my kids to various baseball practices and just taking care of life. Right. So did was did you go like straight to like doing a hurricane heat or did you do OCR first? Um, I did I did OCR first. Um, I think it was 2013, 2014 that I did my first Spartan race, which was uh, back when they had it at the Whitewater Center here in Charlotte. Right. Um, did that? You know, I, I I happened into it this kind of the same way that everybody does. It was a group of friends. It was like, hey, let's give this a shot and. You know, you get there and you have no idea what to anticipate. And, you know, I think it was the first two years, all I did, 2013, 2014, all I did were sprints. I uh, wasn't brave enough to go any anywhere beyond that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, happened into, I, I, I do what I don't suggest, I did what I don't suggest for most people, which was I jumped right into a 12-hour um, <laughs> when I started doing those versus getting an introduction to Spartan Endurance with uh, Hurricane Heats. Yeah. Um, and it was at Wintergreen was the first 12-hour I did, so that was my second mistake. Um, Holy shit. Because I, yeah, so, and it happened to be with um, Tony Matisse, who was the uh, director of Spartan Endurance at the time, and Dylan Forsythe, who if, uh, who if any of you guys have ever run into him, he's one of the one of the tougher cryptae there's ever been as far as just relentlessness. And, um, you know, it had kind of a history of, making it through events that I needed to make them through back when I, I used to, I had a couple MMA fights back in the day and didn't lose any of those. And it was, everything just sort of came to me when I needed it to. Um, so, so what made me fall in love with endurance was at that event was I just absolutely got my ass handed to me. Um, and that was 2015 you said? Yeah. 2015 at Wintergreen. And it was, um, you know, it was one of those things I wasn't used to carrying, you know, way to ruck on my back or anything like that, and you're on a mountain, and they're having you sprint up and down it in a certain amount of time, oh, and they're throwing smoke, 
smoke bombs in your face and you know you're throwing <laughs> I mean I'm serious it was a crazy one because people were throwing up on themselves and yeah I mean it was it was pretty bad but that was sort of the what I fell in love with it that day too um and I'll remain really good friends with Tony and, and especially Dylan now to this day because I kind of give that event credit for for changing everything for me realizing that you can't half-ass your way through stuff like that and you know you really have to it was a humbling experience and what I love about that is you know I kept taking cracks at it it took me three shots before I completed my first 12 hour um but what I liked about it is it didn't come easy and I had to work for it and um you know I feel like it's cliche in the endurance world where they say you know you learn more from your failures but you really do because it really shifted my perspective and you know, gave me something that I don't want it to come easy when I go get one of those things. Right. So, you know, I try and make it as difficult as on myself as possible. Well, if you signed up for the 12-hour at Wintergreen for your first hurricane heat, I'd say you did that. <laughs> Some of that is just being <laughs> stupid, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how many hurricane heats have you done? Um, I've kind of lost count at this point. Um, I get asked that a lot. I mean, it's, you know, with hurricane heats and 12 hours combined, I mean, it's in the upwards of the, I'm certainly not one of the people that can travel all around the country and do them, but right. I want, if I had to guess, I'm somewhere in the 20s at this point. Damn. That's a bunch. A I mean, but that's, right, that's the regular hurricane heats and the 12 hours combined. Right. So, but, and, and the difference between like a regular hurricane heat and like a 12 hour event is like the 12 hour event has like cutoffs and stuff, right? And you can actually, like fail it and get kicked out but like the regular hurricane heat is kind of like a team building thing and you you can pretty much stay in it as long as you can you know you got the grit right yeah no, that's, that's exactly the case i mean there with the regular hurricane heats um it, it's very much the entire event is team-based and that's kind of where they established the the warrior ethos is the base of what spartan endurance is supposed to teach you is I will always place a mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. The main thing that they want people to keep is that uh, you know you're a team and you you finish the thing as a team. It's very rare that you see see people fall out of a hurricane heat because a they're not going to push you you know as hard as they possibly can right. like they do in other events. And then secondly, your main goal and your main objective is to learn that everybody should finish. Um, there's a good kind of add-on to that that Kuhl, who was uh, a former Crypto, but he's actually just doing Spartan Kids races now, um, he has a patch that says As One, um, and it's As One, I am a I am an individual with limitations, and As One, we are a team, and we are invincible. I might be screwing that up a little bit, but the concept <laughs> remains the same. Um, you know, it's it just basically showing you that you know, you can survive anything as a team. So that's why you'll see, you know, you have the slowest person out there lagging behind everybody. And the natural inclination for people is to, you know, hey, I'm this is a Spartan race event, so I have to get to the finish before anybody else. But it's the opposite of what you want to do there. You see somebody lagging behind, and you send multiple people back there to go and pump them up and help pick them up and carry them if they're having trouble making it the entire way. Um you know, so for a hurricane heat, that's where it's a great opportunity for people to kind of get a taste of what you do in the larger events, but you're not, there's not the pressure of, oh my God, if I can't do this, I'm going to get cut, because they don't cut people, there are no time hacks or things like that in the right. regular hurricane heat. Um, but then you move on to, to 12, and obviously one of the biggest differences is, um, you know, you have a weighted ruck at that point, so most of the time it's 20 pounds for girls, 30 pounds for guys um, in a ruck, and they kind of divide it up depending on the criteria that you get. You'll have um, you'll have a lot of team events where you have to make movements together, and then they'll break you off in individuals um, into time hacks. So it might be, I mean, there there have been the one I did most recently where you had to tape your knees and your ankles together and carry a fifty pound sandbag wow. in your in front of you in your arms and shuffle kind of shuffle your feet and it, it and if you didn't make it in a certain amount of time, you were out. Um, you know, we also, there was a lot of duct tape with Cookie and Fayetteville. I mean, we were duct tape at the knees and ankles and had to belly crawl and push a bucket that was full of sandbags down a quarter-mile strip 
what seemed like an eternity when it was happening. But um, you'll have a lot of you'll have a lot of events where, um, like I said, it starts off. The first hour, a few hours are going to be team events where you know, as a team, you're carrying gigantic tires, you know, up mountains, and then you'll split off and do individual drills. Um, some Cryptea will do things where you have to learn land navigation and they'll put coupons or things you have to find out in the middle of the woods and with land navigation you got to find them and bring them back for points. Huh. All kinds of, yeah, it depends on the Cryptea, but they all set up very differently and that's, you know, that's one of the things I love is, you know, you get cookie and you, you know from the get-go that you're going to be hoofing a ton of weight for a long time, sometimes with body various body parts duct tape you know, to themselves and things like that. And then you get, um, you know, you get somebody like Rob uh, Barger, who, is, what I've always liked about him is his, his are the very, uh, I guess, what's the best, probably philosophical. He, al- he always gets you thinking. Um, he'll do, like, social experiments in it where I know there was one, I, unfortunately I didn't get to do it, where he split the group into, into like, a red, yellow, and green group. Yeah, and it, the green group were the people who could do no wrong, no matter what they did. They were right. They got points. The yellow group just got completely ignored, even when they asked questions. And then the red group was mostly like the twelve-hour veterans, and no matter what they did, they were wrong. So they got punished, even if they did what they were asked to do, and things like that. So damn. Very, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty. It's pretty cool because he does it's social experiments like that. And I know he had one where um, he had Tovar leading one group and did the whole PT session um, in Spanish. So nobody, <laughs> un- nobody understood what he was saying, so they couldn't do the workouts. And, you know, Rob came by later on and said, you know, think about this. The next time you're yelling at somebody for not understanding English when you're trying to tell them to do something and you're getting frustrated and you start talking louder because you think they can't hear you. But think about that the next time you're yelling at somebody who, who doesn't understand English and, just things like that. That's what I love about Rob is Rob gets you thinking in his events, and it's more than just hoofing weight and physically exerting yourself. It's actually learning a lesson at the same time. So you'll see a lot, a lot of cool different things from different cryptia. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. That does sound pretty neat. The way there's kind of like a message behind, you know, the acts that you're, you know, supposed to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always good when there's when there's a reason behind suffering because. There's certain time. I mean, and suffering is all in in your headspace, really. Yeah. Um, but when you have something like that, yeah, to focus on, it always kind of makes it, it gives gives you a reason and gives you something to contemplate even after the event's over. Cool. So, so what did you have to do to like enter this death race? Wasn't there like some kind of video or something? I know you had to do uh, some of the endurance events already that Spartan has to even be selected, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they basically put it out there that it increased your odds if you had done um, some of the peak races events, like the Bloodroot Ultra. Bloodroot's a mountain out there in, right in Pittsfield, right. Um, where Joe's farm is. Um, and if you had completed an Agogi, that was a qualifier. And I had completed O2 up to that point. Um, so I was in there. And then obviously you had to uh, basically beg Joe to let you in. Um, but it wasn't at, it wasn't absolutely 100% necessary to have completed those things. Um, they left it open for, at first, the people who didn't have those had to do videos. And then later on, they wanted videos from everybody. And then later on, they wanted another video with more questions. Because hmm. what, you'll, what you'll learn very early on with the death race is the minute you, you register, you're pretty much, it starts. Um, you know, they had, they had all kinds of, two different video submissions um, was pretty much, other than the prerequisites, all we had to do leading up to it. I know if you missed the deadlines, they made you do more things. Right. Um, that I can't be sure of what they were. Um, but, you know, even after you registered on the event page, they would constantly change the start date, change the start time. Um just constantly messing with you. There was constantly mixed messages from people. You're going to have to bring this. You're not going to have to bring this. Things mm. of that nature. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's fun because it just... It, some people get all caught up in that and get all paranoid about stuff, but as long as you kind of... you got to know that, that the game starts the minute you register. Right. 
So, like, how did the event, like, start? Was there, like, a check-in, and, like, where was it at? Like, how did it all begin? Like, the total event, how did it begin? Well, um, it started on Wednesday night at um, 10 o'clock was when registration started. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing is, you know the, the majority of the event's going to happen around Joe's Farm in Pittsfield, but um, the registration site was actually at a church, <laughs> ironically enough, um, <laughs> about 30 minutes away by car. Um, yeah. And they said, you know, the minute you left your car, you couldn't go back to it. So you had to have everything with you the minute you left the car. Um, you went in, um, dropped your stuff off, registered, checked in with medical. Um, you know, you had to sit in the pews while you waited for medical to check you out and ask you all the questions. Um, you know, you got your bib. Uh, we had to bring in 148 pennies, which I still don't really know what happened to those. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody does. Um, and then we had to bring a $5 bill and then a hundred dollars. Um, and then once you checked in with medical, you went outside to let you drop your pack and, um, and you had to grab your ax, um, and start chopping wood. Uh, whoever owned the property there, that was one of the things I guess Joe knows them. It was pretty cool to talk to him. The, the land went back five generations in his family. And I guess the church we were in was built in like 1903 and it's been there since then. Um, but, uh, kind of going back with the past, speaking of the past, putting them down was the best thing about that event, because, um, if you were, depending on your weight, you either brought 35, 45, or a 55 pound sandbag with you. Right. And, uh, if you're over 175, it's 55 and I am. So I had 55 pounds. Um, Ugh. when I put on all in my pack with all my gear, and that sandbag was, I think, about 87 pounds. Damn. So, yeah, so that sucked pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but we went out there and split wood, and it was funny because, you know, one of our gearless items was a Fisker's wood-splitting axe, so we knew we'd be splitting wood because they do every, they've you, done so every death race. You didn't have to wear that pack while you were splitting wood, did you? No, thank God. I mean, <laughs> I mean we wore it enough, but no, we didn't have to... We didn't have to wear it during that, but um, it was pretty funny because I probably should have practiced splitting wood because <laughs> I'm a city I'm a city boy. I had never split wood in my entire life, um, and but it was so that was an experience, and I just told everybody to stand clear the first few that I did. But um, I actually I was actually pretty I was actually decent at it, and uh, even after the event, I, I thought to myself I was like, where can I go? Because it's kind of therapeutic, splitting wood. Right. Um, so I was looking around, I was like, I was just going to drive around and ask people if they need wood splits just so I can practice. Just cause it's, <laughs> you not only practice, but like I said, it's therapeutic and it's fun, but um, we did that for for a good long while uh, until we busted up all the trees that, uh, that this guy needed uh, busted up. And then we had to, that was pretty much registration in a nutshell. That lasted for about, I don't know, an hour or so. Yeah. You know, we, we got in and out with that and then proceeded on to the next activities. Now, I saw some pictures where it was like a bunch of y'all were like in a house or something, and I think somebody videoed it at one point, and y'all were like either getting ready or preparing to go. Is is that what it was? Yeah, that was the church. Yeah. That, okay. That, when, when it looked like we were in the house, that was the church. Um, and that's where, yeah, that's where our cars remain, so... Anytime anybody was out or the race was over, your cars were, you had to take a wait for the shuttles that ran twice a day from Joe's farm over there. So, um, you know, luckily we, luckily we had a house that was right across the street. So anybody who needed to could, um, we had rented a house. Anybody who needed to could just run over there and shower or get what they needed if they were out of it. Right. And so, like you said, you had to see, like, some medical, you know, get medical inspected or whatever. What did that involve? Did you have to, like, turn your head and cough or what? <laughs> no, they, just, they were just checking for pre-existing conditions, right. anything like that, um, any nagging injuries, allergies. Um, they asked you about mountain sickness and things of that, things of that nature just because we were going to be, you know, getting pretty high up on some of the mountains that we were, oh, okay. that we were hiking. No mental disorders? <laughs> Okay, so after everybody got done, you know, doing the wood splitting and everything, so what was the actual first task that y'all, you know, did to begin the race? Okay, so I, to kind of give it a little background, 
one of the things on our gear list is we had to bring four index cards with apparently I wasn't ready written on them, but with a hole punched in them and some zip ties. Um, huh. Joe put Joe put on the line a hundred thousand dollars if somebody could complete the race and complete all the tasks necessary. So those cards were essentially when they had tasks that you had to complete. If you didn't complete them, you had to take a card out and zip tie it to your to your jersey that you were wearing. Um, and then if you had any of those, you weren't eligible for the prize. And you know we learned more that it was almost unattainable. Um, I'm sure it probably but, was. <laughs> you know, but the money was there because they delivered they delivered ten thousand dollars of it in coins, um, and then the rest of it was one of those. The other ninety thousand was one of those, you know, novelty gigantic checks. But um, the first task that we did after we chopped wood was we actually had to um, just hold our axes straight arm out in front of us at chest level. Yeah. And everybody had to hold it out there, and they were coming by and watching everybody. And if you dropped it all, you were out. Um, and they needed the first ten people that dropped out um, had got a got an assignment for our next. Uh, evolution of the event. Uh, luckily, luckily, I managed to make it through the top, the past the top ten people that dropped out of it, um, because we had to carry this this gigantic thing they called the Ark, which had two generators on it, right. um, which was then connected to a really long extension cord, and then connected to another thing with a timer that had fourteen hours on it, and we had to. We were told that we had to make it from there to Joe's farm within that 14 hours or the event was over. Wow. Um, and if they separated or the generator ran out or the plug got unplugged and the timer went out, then everything was over. Um, so we got that. The first 10 people had to pick up the, the arc with the generators, which was, I think one of the generators alone was like 300 pounds. So it was, wow. you know, you had, a, you had a lot. And that was with your pack on at this point. Um, and then at that point we set out on to the path to Riverside Farm, which was over <laughs> over Bloodroot Mountain, um, which is pretty a pretty intense uh, pretty intense climb. So uh, I know that we didn't make it very far before they realized that there was no chance we were going to make it in the time carrying that stuff. So eventually they let us put down the arc and the timer right. and just go. Uh, which is kind of along with the theme. You just they tell you to do something and you just do it, even if you have no, even if it seems impossible. As long as you try it, I mean, they they, they mess with you the whole time. And right. um, you know, the the whole time with the death race is no, there's no encouragement. There's no nothing. Uh, you're constantly being told that you're not good enough. You're never going to make it. You should just quit now. Um, just turn in your bib. It's not worth it. You're not even going to make it up the mountain. Things like that. Right. That sounds so, like a military boot camp. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, it was. It it's kind of you know it, as long as you know that they're playing that game, but they they do their best to make you doubt doubt yourself the entire time. Well, don't they do that? They do that on twelve hours hurricane heats too, right? They do, but not as much. I mean, not as much. they don't they don't necessarily encourage quitting. They won't stop you from quitting, but they don't encourage you to do so. Right. Um, you, you know, even before, way before the death race started, like Don Devaney and, and a couple of people were, were you know, they'd post on my stuff and say, you're not going to make it, just quit now. And, <laughs> <laughs> you're so fucked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know but, you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, unfortunately, having with people knowing me, it's a, it's a detriment to me a lot of the times because I get singled out, but... Um, but you know, it, 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 it's all in good fun. Right. So, so what did y'all do after y'all climbed Blood Mountain? Well, so the, the thing that I learned quickly about the death race is that you get that carrot dangled in front of you a right. lot of the time. Um, one of the things that I wasn't prepared for was, at, was how brutal the 80 some odd pounds on my back would be going straight up this mountain. So all I could think about the entire time was getting to the top and then, and then descending and then going down the mountain. Um, so, but the way that they pulled the rug out from you there is you get to the top of the mountain and they're like, okay, now we're going to head down and you guys have to crawl down the mountain on your hands and knees. Oh my God. And if you try to crawl forward, your weight of your pack will pull you downhill. So all of us, pretty much every single one of us was client was crawling on our hands and knees backwards down the mountain. Um, I had knee pads in my pants 
which were which was recommended to me, and still with that much weight, just driving my knees into the ground. I mean, bruising. It was like every rock. I felt every single rock that I hit. Wow. Um, that took us what seemed like an eternity to get down the mountain. And at which point they were like, "Okay, we're taking a break, and we think we're done." And then they're like, "Okay, start crawling again." And then we start crawling again. Then they give us a little while longer, and then at that point, it was, take off your shoes, we're doing the rest of the hike, barefoot. Oh, and my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, barefoot down the mountain, barefoot through the through the creeks. Um, you know, so, I mean, in the water in Vermont, even in the middle of the summer, is ice cold. Right. So, uh, you know, we're walking in ice cold water and then back on a path and just see what seemed like an endless endless march <laughs> did, did anybody quit when they said all right you got to take your shoes off and do it barefoot that would have been me i'd have been like screw this guys i'm going home <laughs> at that, at that, at that, i don't think i don't know to be honest with you i know that we lost about 10 people on the initial hike um wow just because you know i had done that i had done blood route during a gogi so i kind of knew what to expect with it i mean it was definitely certainly a different experience crawling down it and then walking barefoot but Knowing that they had done barefoot stuff in every other death race, I've been training without my shoes on a lot. Right. So, good um, thinking. Toughening up my feet there helped. And to be honest with you, hitting the water, taking your shoes off and hitting the water um, with no shoes on was actually a relief. That's what I was about <laughs> so, to say. That probably felt good at that point. Yeah. So no, it, uh, it, it that that was wonderful. Um, and then. Um, that lasted for a good long time before we finally made it to uh, to Joe's farm, and that's where we had um, Matt Waller and Andy Hardy were there, and Jason Barnes, and Rob Barger was there, and of course, Mr. Joe DeSena himself was there, and if you ever do an event up there, um, they call it the Joe Zone, and pretty much when Joe you enter zone. the Joe Zone, it's just going to suck constantly <laughs> because, I mean, anything that you think is unreasonable is reasonable to him, so... Um, you know, that was that was when some of the fun stuff started. We we went out to a pond and we had to keep going and throwing our sandbags into the middle of the pond and then going into the pond to get them and then coming out and then you know a lot of head games with people who would quit but wanted back in and would we let them back in if we let them back in what our punishment would be. Um, a lot of the head games like that, which you know being in the water after being on that mountain was was a lot of it, it was relief to me i enjoyed it so i was like fine i'll get back in the water and dive underneath <laughs> right yeah so, um but you know and it was but that was you know a lot there was a lot of holding the sandbags over your head while he talked to you and then throwing them in the middle of the pond and going back in and getting them and being soaking wet and it you know at the end of the day that didn't really matter um to me at least i enjoyed that because it was downtime where we didn't have our packs on our backs right um, yeah so- how many hours in was it at this point? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have no idea. Uh, you completely lost track of track time. Of time. Um, any given point during that race, people would say, what time is it? What day is today? <laughs> what <laughs> so, year? Was, I mean, <laughs> what year is it? That was a common theme. Is nobody knew you know, when it was, which is better. I mean, it's better to just not know. Right. Um, and the thing about Vermont is the sun comes up at like 4.30 in the morning there. So, wow. So, I mean, even the morning, it, it just throws you off completely. So it's like um, even if you could tell time by the sun, you wouldn't even know anyways. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you didn't care. It's just putting one foot in front of the other at that point. Right. So was there like any way, like, how did y'all, did y'all get any breaks? I mean, was there like times where you could eat anything or drink anything? How was that, or would they, like, try to snap your neck if you tried to get out of line? Um, you had little breaks, but they were really little. Like, at a gogi, we had times where they were like, all right, everybody eat, and they would give you sufficient time to eat. This one, you really had to, it was entirely a self-sufficient race, so you didn't have a drop area, you didn't have a crew that could come with you, so... You had to have your water supply on you, and you had to have your food on you all the time. So they didn't really give you breaks, per se, where you could stop and eat, but anytime you had a little bit of time, it was on you to do it when you right. do it. And you ran out of water, you had to scoop water out of a, out of a creek or whatever, and I brought um, not only a, a bladder in my pack, but I brought 
a Nalgene bottle and a life straw so that I could, um, you know, just scoop up some water in a Nalgene bottle and drink it through the life straw right. and have extra water. And, you know, that was, that was a good thing to have. But yeah, I mean, that was one of those things that kind of got me was, um, I, I, I could have planned my nutrition a little bit better. I was going off advice, but I wound up getting really sick and tired of what I was eating. I just had a bunch of roll-ups that, you know, weren't really, it, were mostly like Nutella, banana, and peanut butter, things like that. And, um, you know, I normally I had been on a keto diet, but kind of gotten and reintroduced carbs a couple of weeks prior to the event just to, so I wouldn't screw myself up too badly. Right. But I think I needed to mix it up a little bit more and have some things that I could eat quicker that weren't as dense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really, you, you ate when you could, you took care of your feet when you thought you could, but there were plenty of times where people were in the middle of changing their socks or, you know, rewrapping their feet and things like that. And we, they, we had to go and they were kind of screwed because they had to hustle and, Ew. you know, yeah. Did y'all sleep any? Uh, <laughs> no. Um, I know that when we got to the part where we had to do 3,000 burpees overnight, um, I know that most people, yeah, most people at that point, um, you would see people, they'd hit the ground and, you know, you had to pay, you had to pace yourself and people were literally falling asleep on the down and like elbowing each other to wake each other up. I'm, we were having, we had to clear a landing out at Shrek's cabin, which is the the top of the mountain behind Joe's house. And I remember at one point I was sitting down just clipping, um, clipping some some weeds and I snapped to it and I had fallen asleep like sitting up and um yeah I mean it was it was really bizarre because you you would nod off for two seconds and then you'd wake up and people are moving and you're like oh crap <laughs> but, Dang. what was yeah, Joe was, doing just having everybody go around and do his neighbor's yard work or what <laughs> well the thing the thing, <laughs> about, the thing about races that are up there is you always wind up doing something um you know, something for Joe's farm, um, something for Joe's mountain. Um, you know, we had to move two, 3000 pound rocks because he said he didn't like where they were. So we had to switch them. Um, and without touching his grass, by the way. So we had to move without doing any damage to the grass. We had to, uh, we had to switch where two rocks were. Um, so that was interesting. Um, how did y'all do that? (laughs) We actually found some, some pipes that we were transporting the ark with. Right, and we wound up uh, getting like a pipe system where we were, we laid them down and we were pushing them. We pushed the rocks along the pipes and switched positions. Um, that was fun because everybody was really tired, and there are a bunch of people with a bunch of opinions, and everybody trying to do ten different things at once. Oh so man! To finally get it when nobody's brain is function, functioning properly was was a win. It was a morale booster when it finally happened. Well. So when y'all were doing 3,000 burpees, like, was it one of those things where everybody was doing them together, or was it an individual thing and you had to keep up with your own count? How did that work? So they, so basically what they did is you split into groups, and there was like a fast group and there was a slower group. And if you're in the fast group and you complete it, you had from 9 p.m. till 6 a.m. to do the 3,000 burpees. So the fast group was all doing them together, and they were doing them in unison. And if they got finished, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, they could sleep for three hours before they had to go on to the next event. Oh, wow. Um, and then, the, yeah, and then the slower group, obviously, the longer they took, the less time they got to sleep. Um, ultimately, that was about 27 hours in. Ultimately, that's where I was out because, um, you know, the other mistake that I made was I had gotten kind of a new pack to take with me just because of the sheer amount of stuff that we had to bring with us. Right. And with that amount of weight and not having really tested the pack that I used, it was sitting on my hips really heavy. And um, I don't have, I have issues with my SI joints in my hips. So my SI joints had popped out at that point, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't keep me from moving. But what it does is it, it, it causes all kinds of leg issues when that happens. I always have to go get them popped back in by a chiropractor when it happens because it, it irritates the piriformis muscle, which turns into IT band issues, so it basically right. goes down goes down my whole leg. So I was about 700 burpees in or so, and it got to the point where when I was pushing up, I couldn't even get my feet underneath me anymore. So, I mean, I, I, I couldn't move, and it wasn't a matter of not, not wanting to do it and not wanting to continue. It was just 
I, I physically couldn't at that point. And, um, you know, but it, it, but I got to at least <laughs> sit around and watch people endure that part. But yeah, it was basically however long it took you to finish the 3000. If you finished it early on, you got to sleep until they moved on to the next event. But, um, ultimately that's where I, that's where I was done. But I hung around the entire rest of the time to cheer on my teammates and everybody else who was still in it. So did you do the barbed wire crawl? Uh, we did that earlier in the day to test it, but I didn't get to do the whole 12 hours of barbed wire crawling, unfortunately. And I do regret that. That's one regret that I have, even though even though it sucked so badly for those people. Yeah. Um, I mean, that what a, what a cool thing. Guinness World Records was there legitimately, and... Um, I mean, it was super official. They had to come out there. Guinness had to measure the course. They had to measure and make sure that the barbed wire was no higher than 24 inches. And, um, you know, I was, I was told how much it cost just to get Guinness out there, which is a pretty substantial amount in the tens of thousands, um, just to have them come there to, you know, send judges to get it officially in the record book. Um, but, man, that was just that, was that daunting. Cool. What was the distance? Go ahead, I'm sorry. What was the what distance for the barbed wire crawl? All right, so in order for you to win the $100,000, you had to do 26.2 miles. Yeah. Uh, you had to do a full marathon distance. For the world record, it was a 10K. It was You had to crawl a 10K worth. And um, Eric from Canada, Eric Hutterer, was just an absolute machine. I mean, nothing stopped this dude. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I thought... You know, when you when you think of, like, a badass and somebody who can endure and just keep going, um, he was, like, one of the – like, he always had a smile on his face, was always singing, um, had one of my favorite moments of the entire weekend when he was, like, three laps away from setting the world record, and there was somebody in his way. And, like I said, I, I'll go back and <laughs> remind you that he's from Canada. He did the most Canadian thing on the face of the earth, and he <laughs> simply was in his way. He's just like – I'm very sorry about this, but could you please move out of my way? <laughs> and this is after he's been crawling for like nine hours, and he's being polite, and everybody lost it. And, uh, I mean, it was just, it, it was, you want to talk about when you see Canadians in movies and on TV, I mean, it was like so stereotypical, and everybody was losing it. It was, it was awesome. And didn't he end up getting like seven miles or something like that? Yeah, yeah, he was. He did about seven miles of barbed wire crawl, and to put that into perspective, he did. I think it was like twenty-seven or twenty-eight laps of that course, and wow. some of the other people were like four in the same amount of time. I mean, it yeah. was that's crazy. When, when we tested it out, it was. I mean, it, it was terrible because it was rocky. It was yeah, I saw. It, it, and the, and and it was in the middle of of the field, so. It wasn't like there were woods around you to block the sun. You were in the baking sun. I mean, everybody had was torn to shreds. Their backs looked like they had been whipped over and over and over and over. And you couldn't roll gone. either, could you? It had to no, be a crawl. Rolled, they gave you, yeah, you rolled. You had to put one of those apparently I wasn't ready cards on you and all that. Yeah. I saw they they posted like a little video today of, of, about it or something. I, I, I mean, it, I it was it. it was absolutely insane, and it's one of those things that you see, and you just say, "There's no way that." But that's a scene. That's a scene with the death races. You just think to yourself constantly, "There's no way. There's no way I can do this. There's no way anybody could do this." But you just do. Right. You just go and you do, and and that's the thing, and that's that's the key that a lot of people forget is it's just one foot in front of the other. You're not out of it until you're out of it, and Rob. Uh, Rob Barger, like I've mentioned him a few times, he's a cryptid, but he's also the one who has trained me for the last like, six months or so yeah. to get ready for it. And um, you know, he has a he has a great quote, and uh, and I say it to myself a lot when I'm in these events where he just says, "It's gonna suck until it doesn't suck." <laughs> so, huh. I mean, you know, and that and it really does. And it's if you know that they're messing with you, and you know that they're trying to get in your head, then they can't take you out of it. Right. So, and, and wasn't there a, a a girl there that had a, a prosthetic leg or something? Did I did I see that right? Yeah, yeah, that's Amy. Amy actually was. It was ironic because she. I mean, first of all, she's a super badass. Um, she was in my group at Agogi O two, and I remember when she was in my group there, and she was just kicking ass the entire time. 
outperforming the majority of the people there. And it wasn't until like halfway through a 60 hour event when we were changing our clothes and stuff that she changed, she pulled up her pant leg and changed her leg. And this whole time I'm like, this girl that's whooping everybody's butt has a prosthetic leg. And she's just like, you wouldn't know it. She's one of the most competitive and unrelenting and just, I mean, she, it's not just about, hey, you know, I'm, I have a prosthetic leg. I can do what other people can do too. It's I can do what other people can do and I can do it better than them. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, she was second place. She was she was just behind Eric. I mean, and she mm-hmm. she she's awesome. I, I I was so happy to see her. I mean, it's inspirational every time you see her, and not just because you're like, wow, she's doing this with a prosthetic leg. It's that she is a top performer, regardless of that fact. And and did she finish the whole event too? Didn't she? She sure did. Yeah, That's I had awesome. no doubt in my mind that she would do it too. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. That's, I mean, that's just insane, thinking about trying to do 3,000 burpees at one time. Did, did they actually, was that one of those where they actually went all the way to 3,000, or was it just one of those mind tricks where they said they were going to do it, but they didn't make it that far? A lot of people made it that far. A lot of people did make it that far. I know there wow. was a handful of people that were only in, the, like, a little over 1,000. But, again, you know, to not pulling back the curtain too much, a lot of times it, with the death race, and things like that, it, you just you go until they tell you to stop. And, you, and that's all you can do. Because sometimes, sometimes it is impossible, but they want to see that you don't believe that it's impossible. And they right. just are constantly moving and constantly doing. But, you know, like I said, there's a lot of the people were sitting there every time they went down, they were falling asleep. So it's, how do you get 3,000 in that amount of time when <laughs> everybody's waking everybody really? else up? Yeah. And so then after that barbed wire cross, all where they were like pulling some ropes through some pulleys or something? Yeah, they had like a little rope climb system where it had like a, like a barrel at the top wrapped around three times and a counter. So every time that rolled around, it counted. And they each had to pull, they had to pull that rope for a total of 50,000 feet. Wow. Um, but, and a lot of them were just, there was a great one of Eric when he was doing it, the, um, the guy who set the world record, um, that he the definition of autopilot where he's just dead-eyed you see him just pulling this rope and he's just standing there and there's like no expression on his face he's just his body's moving his body's doing what they told him to do um but the, the whole theme of the death race was it's a marathon not a sprint right and it was just that everything you everything we were going to be doing was we were going to be doing for a very 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 long time that's the way it looked yeah yeah it was brutal I know that was about all I, I saw on um, on their Facebook page. I, and I, I heard something about them getting handed a skull and they broke it and then they had to glue it back together or something like that. Yeah, that was their final task. Is, I mean, they get, there, was a, there were a handful of little different activities um, that we did. You know, a lot of it was we had buckets and we had to fill them with rocks that Joe picked out because for whatever reason he decided they needed to be moved from one part of the mountain to another. Huh. Um you know, so there's a lot of little things that kind of fit in to fill in time, um, different PT sessions and things like that. And um, I know right when they came down from the mountain after doing that pulley system thing, they had to do a bunch of front rolls and pencil rolls and stuff where, you know, these guys, these guys are just dead. I mean, they, Athena, um, who I know, who was one of the finishers, she, I remember her walking down and just, I mean, she looked, literally looked like a zombie. There was like no life in her eyes whatsoever when she came down. Um, but after they did all that, they walked over and yeah, they brought out boxes and they had taken the skulls that they would get and they smashed them. And in order to finish, they had to have a complete skull. So they had to sit there with super glue when, you know, they could barely tell you what, you know, what their own name was and glue it together. And, and then when they glued it together, they were officially a finisher. I can only imagine how frustrating that was right there at the end. <laughs> Just to be right there and be like, listen, this should be so easy, but I can't even think right now. Yeah, for real. Uh, I saw where uh, uh, somebody who was at the event posted that said a guy had uh, dropped out and he came back to Joe wanting to get back in and uh, they made it out like Joe just raked this dude over the coals, you know, in front of everybody and... uh, Rumor was he he went a little too far. Were you there for that? I, I wasn't there for that. Um, it may have been the guy that when we were having to go in and out of the pond. Um, I, th- I think so. When we came, yeah, when we came back, we were 
I know that he. I mean, he dropped out like five minutes into the first hike of Blood Root. Wow. From what I from what I heard, so it was really just like he. I mean, he quit. He quit like right when it started, essentially. Um, and he didn't have to do the part that you know. At the end of the day, the, the part that took me out was having so much weight on my hips going up that mountain and right. going down that mountain. And you know, he quit. And then we get there to the pond, and he's standing in the pond. And Joe said, you know, he. He quit on you, but he came back and he had been, he was crying and and you know do we let him back in? And of course, the right answer in that situation is yes, you let him back in. But what's the cost to you? But you know, in your head and and kind of what it's ingrained in you in Spartan is always that never leave a fallen comrade. So we're like, yes, we'll let you back in. Right. Um, that messed with me a little bit uh, psychologically because. I kept thinking to myself, like, when he was still in it, when the burpees were going on and my legs weren't working, I'm like, man, if I had just taken the easy way out and skipped that entire part, and, you know, effectively skipping, you know, 18 hours of the event, and then just to be let back in, um, and then I would have been back in an advantage where I was fresh and I could have kept could have kept going, my hips would have been fine, but yeah. um, I wasn't there for what Joe said. But, I mean, that's the thing is that if, if you're going to quit, to me, you gotta quit. Right. And you know, you make you make that decision. You've made that decision, and you shouldn't put it on other people to to bail you out of making a bad decision. Because uh, you know, there's nothing nothing. I've I, it's a quote that I heard some from David Goggins, and he said, "I've never seen it. I've never found anything I liked on the other side of quitting." And it to I try. If I'm out, I'm out. I'm not gonna beg to be back in. If I go, if right. I and man enough to go to you and say, I can't do it, I'm out, I'm not going to tuck my tail between my legs and be like, you know what, I changed my mind, now that the hard part's over, let me back in, yeah. but I wasn't privy to what he said, but, you know, Joe's an intense guy, and he's where he is because he's an intense guy, Right. and, you know, it's, it's I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily anything that's too far, if you're raking somebody under, over the coals who wants you know, who wants to be given the easy route and something that's not supposed to be easy. Right. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Uh, did I see that you went to Palmerton to help with the hurricane heat there? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they've been, they wrapped up the death race of, you know, fairly, I guess around like 10, um, 10 in the morning or something like that, if I recall correctly. Um, then it was a matter of getting our stuff together, packed up and, they were doing a hurricane heat in Palmerton, and I was dropping somebody off in D.C. on the way back. Uh, Abe and I were, so I said I I messaged Franny and um, talked to Cookie and was like, "Hey, we can swing through and help out or do whatever we need to do." And yep, we uh, we made it to Palmerton. Got to, you know, we were really helping. Franny and Danielle were running a really cool event, so we was really just there to boost morale. And they had to do a barbed wire call, and Danielle said, you know. She introduced us and said, this is what they had to do, so we're going to do a mile-long bar, uh, barbed wire crawl. And they they did that. And As a team, though, obviously, it would have taken forever to do a mile each. But, right. um, but yeah, no, it, it was cool. I mean, it, and it was it felt good to just flaunt my, I guess, somewhat celebrity status for having, <laughs> <laughs> for having participated in the event. Yeah, so did you, like, wear your death race bib for, like, a couple of days? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not the bib, but we got, we still got, we still got a shirt, and we got a hoodie and a hat. Um, That's cool. But I've, I've, I've been rocking the, rocking the shirt and the hat pretty, pretty consistently. The bib, since I didn't finish, um, I got a shadow box to, to put the bib in, along with a couple other things from the event. To, hey, that's awesome. Just, just as kind of a reminder, because I like to, you know, you learn more from failure is very true. So right. I like to, the stuff that I, I achieve patches and things like that for stuff that I finish. most of the time that goes into a box, but the stuff that I failed is all hanging up on the wall in my garage um, where I have a little mini gym. So I put all my failures up on the wall just so I can remind myself that, you know, things don't come easy and you got to work for them. And when you fail, you got to just keep taking cracks at it until you, until you get it. Right. Mike, how much did this event cost? Like, just the entry I mean, fee. Entry fee was four dollars and thirty-one cents. No way. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I don't think this is necessarily one that they want that they're there to make a ton of money off of. Because they know that they're not going to get a ton of people there. Um, 
Well, you said we you had, had to free- give them a hundred dollars too when you got there too. Yeah, so the hundred dollars wound up being what what it initially was supposed to be for was to pay for all the swag that we got, like the 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 hats and the hoodies okay. and things like that. It was supposed to be for that. But one of the coolest things is when we were getting when we were being getting kind of the rundown of the event. Uh, Robin Crossman, who was one of the uh, race directors, was along with Neely. Um, he was telling a story about a family up there. I think it was down in either Bahamas or Bermuda, I don't recall correctly, but there's a family from that area, and a boat exploded, and it, um, and the, the daughter lost both of her legs, and the mother was severely injured, and it's a tight-knit community up there, so initially the $5 was from everybody to be donated to them uh, to help with their medical bills, but That's Joe cool. was standing in there, and and Joe even said at that point, he goes, you know what, um, I didn't know I didn't know that story. I didn't know that that's what was going on, so I'm going to take the rest of this and put it towards that. So he took everybody's $100 and donated that to them as well. So that's ultimately cool. it was a donation to a, to a good cause to help a family who was in need. Um, so, But ultimately the registration was only $4.31. <laughs> you know, the rest of it was a donation to, the, to a good cause. Well, that's cool. So, Mike, if if you went back and did this again, what would you do differently? Well, it was, it's funny that you say that because when we were doing all the the three thousand burpees, and my body was broken down, I said, "This is dumb. I don't know why I'm I'm never doing this again." <laughs> uh, you know, I I was saying that to myself, and I was like, you know, I thought that I would love this, but do I love it? I was questioning myself a lot. And once I kind of got myself together, I was, I just said to myself, I'm like, I'll be back next year. Who am I kidding? (laughs) I knew, I knew from the, I, I, it was, it crept in for a second, but I knew from, from really early on that I'd be back. Um, it's hard to say what I would do differently. I mean, obviously I'm going to plan farther out as far as nutrition. I'm going to test out my nutrition. Um, I'm gonna, and then obviously gear wise, I'm gonna work on different scenarios with my gear, being more used to my gear, um, you know, being able to adjust on the fly when they change requirements at the last second, just to be. It, it was all gear. I mean, I think, I think ultimately the issues that I have with my hips um, didn't. I, I could have avoided that by planning better, um, and I plan on doing that. And you know, I'm gonna. Leading up to it next year, I'm going to spend a lot of time out there on hikes, like longer duration hikes with the equipment that I plan on using and, right. and, and, hell, and hell overloading it because physically I was ready. I was, I've, I've, been, I've been on for a long time and I have been on for a long time with Rob. Um, Rob runs Red Path Performance Group, which is who, he's been programming my workouts, like I said, for the last six months and I felt like I could run through walls and even when I did the Fayetteville 12-hour was you know, I don't want, I wouldn't want Cookie to hear this and hear me say it was easy, but it was one of those things that I cruised <laughs> through it just because I was ready for it. But, right. um, you know, differently, yeah, I mean, those are the two main things that I would do and, and just sort of, um, you know, I think hindsight, maybe even if I was having a really hard time getting my legs underneath me, just go through the motions as much as I could. Um, that's the only thing I, that I would change is just try and stay out there until they pull me because the fact of the matter is, is you know, I, I I ended that race for myself because I thought I had to, but maybe. But I, I kept thinking to myself, too, you know, I know what we got to do tomorrow with a barbed wire crawl. What's that going to do to me? But I let that doubt creep in yeah. uh, on top of my body hurting. But, no, I mean, as far as, as – I, I think I'll be as ready, if not more ready, next year. And it, it'll just be gear and nutrition, really, that I need to tidy up and – I think I stand a pretty good shot next year. Would you have to submit another video to do it next year to be picked for it? Because y'all didn't y'all have to submit videos this year of why you needed to be to be picked for it? Yeah, and I'm you know I'm sure I'm sure that I'll, we'll have to do something silly to get in, but it'll all be worth it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's I think it, the biggest thing I got out of it was that's my family now. I really I made a post about it today that I really did gain. Yeah, I saw it a new family. Um, I mean, there's something about, uh, I mentioned it to my wife when I got, when I got there. Um, I just said, you know, the, the energy is just different here. It's just, 
the people and the vibe and the energy was unlike anything I've ever felt before. So it was really, it was really cool. And, and that I think more than anything, that's what attracts me to it is that energy and being around those people. And, you know, we had a house that the house I stayed at that we rented, I guess is, has a lot of death race history in it. Um, you know, many of the, the people who've been in it, the legends of the death race have stayed at that house. So we're right. in that house next year. I mean, all of us in the house are like, all right, yep, we'll be back next year. <laughs> so, so what was probably, would you say, is your best takeaway from the event? Um, I just think that, like I said, I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, it didn't, it wasn't about getting a skull and finishing or not for me. It was about going out there and just towing the line and just doing something. My biggest takeaway is that that I will go. I, I that I had the ability to go out there and do something that you know the majority of the people in this world would never even fathom or understand. Um, Joe said it when we all started when we all filed into the church. He said, you know, that what sets you apart from the rest of the from the rest of the world is that you drove your car into that parking lot and walked into the church. And it's just putting yourself out there for failure. Right. Um, and it, that's kind of been, you know, you, you, the only way you can strip away ego is to go out there and get your, get, <laughs> get your ass kicked and have your ego checked. And that race is the ultimate ego check. It will break everybody. Whether you finish or not, it breaks everybody. And you learn who you are as a person. And, you know, I could have felt sorry for myself and, and been like, oh, what was me? I wanted to do the death race and finish it, but I didn't. But I literally, the minute, the minute it was over, all I thought about was getting back to training, fixing my body, getting back to training, and getting on to the next thing, and then being back there next year. And you know, fortunately, there was no time to rest because I've got the GoRec HTL in Charlotte this weekend. You know, so you've got 40 hours into, I'm sorry, uh, 24 hours into 12 hours into six to eight hours. You know, three events in a row. Wow. So, you know, that'll be, a, that'll be a good test, but on the bright side, it's only 30 pounds in your pack. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a lot, that's a lot better than 80 pounds. You should be walking the park. <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel like a breeze at this point, I'm sure. Shoot, man, I, man, I would have tapped out when you, they said, all right, we're going to start hiking barefooted. Because, man, it's all I can do to walk in the showers at the races over that gravel barefooted, man, to wash off. I'm like, man, I'm just going to take a shower when I get home. <laughs> that's, a, that's a walk in the park, man. I tell you, I, I, it's funny now. I'll do mo- I'm going to start doing most of my stuff with my shoes off just to be used to it. Dude, man, I'm so tender-footed, man. It's so I'm funny. I'm not getting sleep. Yeah. Oh, Leanne would have been falling asleep standing up. I know I'd have been the one on the ground with the burpees. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been snoring in a mid burpee or something. No, there were people snoring, trust me. <laughs> so, okay, man, so what was probably the worst part of the event or like the worst takeaway from the event? Um, man, I tell you, the biggest thing was even with knee pads, like the little knee inserts, I had 511 pants on with the knee inserts. Yeah. And I thought it would help me, but e- I mean, easily, it was just how bad like i felt every rock every stick everything that my knees went on the worst thing for me was just how beat up my knees felt i mean they were swollen they were uh, you know when i was when i was done we were i was on the bus going back to get my car and you know the blisters that were in my it was under my skin and i bent my knee and the blister burst all over the back of the seat (laughs) it's like yeah i mean it, it tore my knees up so the worst thing about it it's just how it's just how beat up my legs got. Yeah, I seen pictures where a lot. I saw pictures where there was a lot of people that just had duct tape, you know, just covering different their forearms and their knees and just everywhere. Looked like yeah, yeah, looked like Walmart yeah. ran out of duct tape. It was, it was people were doing whatever they had to do to try and get through it. Some of it paid off, but man, I know one of my one of my buddies who was who who rode with me was just like his things his knees were so jacked up and then he had to pull the duct tape off of them afterwards. <laughs> so, I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> Alright man, so what was probably like one of the funniest things that happened during the event? <laughs> um there there are so many inside jokes. Um but one of the things that kind of got me and the people in the house through it is there's this um there's this children's song that my daughter sings, like the Baby Shark song. Uh, <laughs> I know which song you're talking about. We're so about. familiar with so that you know song. That song. 
Yes. So I sing that. I was singing that constantly. And <laughs> in the house, I was like, this is the song that we're going to use to cheer each other up when we're out there. So, you know, we're out there and everybody looks like they're going to die. And somebody's going, baby, yeah, So there's that. And then um, I guess the other thing in our house, it, it was just individually in our house, is I brought a vacuum sealer to vacuum seal my food. And right before we were getting ready to go, we literally started vacuum sealing everything, like our socks, our pants, anything that we had in our pack. Right. Um, so the so the theme of the event for our house became, can you vacuum seal it? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's just kind of kind of a random thing that like that we that we all hold on to now. So we're all um, there's one patch that um, that we're having made um, that's in, that looks like the cards that we had that says apparently I wasn't ready. Um, but the house, I think I'm going to make one for the people in the house that says, can you, va- can we vacuum seal it and send that to them? <laughs> <laughs> was there like somebody during the event that like said something smart to, you know, one of the people that was like telling y'all the stuff to do or the cryptayers or whatever that just, you know, got a shit handed to him when he said it? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I know there's. There wasn't a lot of blue falconing, which I'm notorious for. There right. wasn't a lot of that in this event because I think people knew, like, we don't need to make it any worse on us than it's already going to be. Right. Well, that's good everybody was on the same plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Mike, man, I'm about out of questions, man. Is there anything you want to add or tell us about? Um, nothing in particular other than some of the things that, some of the things that I've seen on some of my posts about the death race since then is, you know, you know, maybe, maybe I'll be ready next year. I'll try and be ready next year. One of these years I'll be ready for it. Um, the biggest thing that I, that, that I want to say is just, if you think you want to just go because it, it, it sounds daunting. It sounds like you can't do it. And the stories and the things you're going to see make you think that you can't do it. Uh, but just the experience of being there, like I said, the energy is just crazy, and it's just so cool. And regardless of how it ends for you, it, it be it good or bad, it changes you, and you have a family. And you know, even even though I even though I didn't finish, I'm getting messages from you know previous finishers just saying welcome to the family because that's exactly what that's it is. Cool. And it's a different level of it's just a different level of, of people and personalities, and you know it it you. Even if you're out in the first hour, you're going to get something out of it. That's cool. What what advice would you give to anybody that's thinking about maybe doing this next year? I mean, just do it. Uh, just go. I mean, you'll never know until you're there. there that's, you're never ready. You're never ready for the death race. Nobody's ready for the death race. I Even though I was prepared, I wasn't ready. Um, but other than that, it's, you know, hoof a bunch of weight. Do things that piss you off for a really long time. <laughs> do do monotonous things like literally, if you if you have the time and the patience to do it, go out and cut your grass with scissors and sit out there all day. <laughs> if you have all day and sit out and cut your grass with scissors, things like that. Well, um, take pride in your work. <laughs> yeah, do, do, do things do things that piss you off and do things that are uncomfortable for really, 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 really long periods of time and do three thousand burpees. <laughs> All right, I'll add that to my list of things to do. <laughs> and crawl down a mountain on your hands and knees. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, trust me. If there, I may or may not be helping with some hurricane heats in the near future, and I can almost guarantee you that if there's a mountain, you're going to be crawling backwards on your hands and knees down the mountain. I think you posted something about that earlier, didn't you? Oh yeah, I have lots. I have lots of ideas. <laughs> I think we saw him doing a little bit of that at the New Jersey hurricane heat. Oh yeah. I yeah, it's uh, it, it it that sucks more than you think it would suck. I'm sure. Mm-mm. Well, hey, Mike, man, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, Leanne. You got anything you want to add? No, I'm proud of you, Mike. That was awesome. Yeah, I man. admire a lot of what you do. I know you're like Thank an you. adrenaline junkie, so I was pretty proud whenever. <laughs> Me and Scott, we kept looking back at the peak races page to check on you and Abe and yeah. stuff. So the only people I knew that was there that was you and uh Kurt. Uh, so I was cheering y'all on. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, I appreciate all the kind words that I'm getting, not only from y'all but from from everybody. I mean, it's a cool experience, man. And if nothing else, I want people to to realize that 
you know, I, I'm no, I was no more deserving than anybody else to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just gotta, you gotta, you always gotta take things and, and elevate and be around people that are, that you think are outside of your, your league. And then that's the only way you're going to realize that, that you can hang with anybody if you have the right mindset. That's true. And you said you're going to start doing some of the hurricane heats, like you're going to be like telling people what to do, like running it? Um, well, not, not officially, of course. I'm not employed by Spartan, but right. um, I can neither confirm nor deny that I will be present in some <laughs> capacity in Asheville, and maybe South Carolina as well. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, hey, man, that sounds cool. Uh, I'm going to sign up and do a four-hour one day, or a hurricane heat. It's not a four-hour. Yeah, don't call it a four-hour. You'll get in trouble. <laughs> It'll turn into a seven-hour quick, won't it? <laughs> Precisely. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I keep saying I'm going to do one, but I, I never do. Whatever, I mean, it's fun. The, four, the, 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 the regular hurricane heats are a lot of fun. You'll have a good time, and you can joke around, and that's when you can talk smash and get your get your team burpees and penalties and things like that. So oh, that sounds like fun. That's what I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> to where everybody's hating you and they want to just put a bar of soap in a sock and hit you on with it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I like going for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, cool, Mike. Hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, man, and tell us about your adventure, man. It sounds like it was an epic weekend, dude. Yes, anytime. And it was, uh, yes, it was certainly everything that I wanted and more. Well, cool, man. We'll be watching what you do in the future, man. Thanks for talking All to right. us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Later. Right. Hope you enjoyed the interview, guys. I want to thank Mike again for taking the time to talk to us. It sounded like that was an epic adventure. Um, me and Leanne will be in Asheville at the beginning of next month. Uh, Michael Robertson will also be there with us. Me and him went to Palmerton this past weekend, had a great time. It was super bummer that the sprint got canceled, but made me glad we'd run two laps on Saturday. Ran into a f- several listeners there. They come up to me and said, hey, you just got the Fane Knowles that does the podcast. So I thought that was pretty cool. Leanne, you have anything you want to add? No, it was just a fun interview. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it was kind of neat. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Goof. Why are you looking at me? Because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, follow us on Instagram and like us on the Facebook and uh, leave a, a review on iTunes if you want to. Tell us how much we suck and we'll see you at next race. Peace.